and welcome to the Friday, December 13th, 2019 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, the state of the race and impeachment. Fitting topics for Friday the 13th. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. And our play-by-play announcer, Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Yeah, it was Andrew Yang's campaign, I'm sure, uh, will never be the same. Uh, <laughs> for many reasons. <laughs> and Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find, find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, state of the race. We're just about 50 days until caucus getting, and things are starting to get real. The field continues to be windowed in some cases by a candidate's realization that this ain't going to happen. Others have run out of money. However, for some of the remaining hangers-on, it appears the Democratic National Committee debate eligibility rules may be the final winnower. Seven candidates have qualified for the December 19th debate stage. Biden, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Sanders, Steyer, Warren, and Yang. Booker and Gabbard uh, were on the bubble, but apparently... (laughs) Uh, are not out. Gabbard said she wouldn't participate because she's spending her time in New Hampshire where she's skiing or, or campaigning. Um, Todd, does this set the stage, uh, pun intended, for the final 45 days of the caucus campaign? Yes, the fateful 45 days. It's a, you know, there's probably a book, book title in there somewhere. Uh, yeah, you know, it'll be, uh, of course, you know, you look at the polls in Iowa, you've got this sort of gaggle at the top with with booted edge and Warren and Sanders and Biden it'll be interesting to see you know which you know narrative carries the the day and whether it's you know we got to nominate someone toward the center that's going to appeal to to Trump voters and and the rust belt or are we going to you know go with our heart and and take a you know nominate a progressive like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren what you know is, a- is Amy Klobuchar, who I think had a poll this week where she entered the the rarefri- rarefied air of double digits. Can you believe that? So what's what's going to happen with her? Is she going to somehow emerge in the last few weeks and uh, become maybe that more centrist pick? As Pete Buttigieg takes a lot of heat for various things in his background and for his positions, and and Biden, you know, is is Joe Biden. So you <laughs> he may punch him himself out of the race at some point so you just never can tell uh but yeah that, i mean i think that's that's sort of the stage and then and the debate's gonna is gonna probably highlight those those divisions and and i expect Buttigieg to take plenty of heat and i expect you know joe biden to try to try to right the ship his national polls are good but in iowa he isn't he isn't performing so well Talking to uh, Tom Steyer's campaign manager this week, um, she said that uh, to think that the top tier today will be the top tier February 3rd is naive. Well, I, I think to believe that Tom Steyer is going to be in the top tier is, I, I don't know exactly what to call that. Maybe not naive, maybe insane. But, <laughs> but hey, who knows? Hey. I, yeah, we kind of do know, but we'll say who knows. <laughs> We can we can be hopeful for forty five days, I guess. If you know, if you're on a campaign team, you well, can... we'll see him on TV. I bet. So yes, at least there's that. There's that. We'll see him on TV, um, and you know, it, it's interesting. He was at the the Teamsters Forum last Saturday, and and I was kind of surprised by the response he got from the Teamsters. I mean, they 
Um, they like some of the ideas he was throwing out there. I don't know if they are attracted to him as a candidate, but they like his ideas. So um, there's possibilities. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, coming up uh, in, on January 14th, um, the CNN Des Moines Register debate. Uh, it will be the same day as the governor's condition of the state address. So I guess if she has any bad news, that would be a good opportunity to bury it in her condition of the state speech. Um, Aaron, uh, Cory Booker isn't going to be on the debate stage uh, next week. And uh, you talked to his campaign manager. What's his plan for um, staying relevant if he's not in the debate? Well, what what every other candidate does uh, when they don't make the debate stage, they come to Iowa. Uh, and, and so that's Booker's uh, plan. He'll be in um, in Iowa uh, on the day of the debate, and uh, and that will be the start of uh, an, another bus tour, um, uh, similar to what uh, some of the other candidates have done. Joe Biden just completed one. Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg have done them in the past, um, and 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 like some of those others, this one will be open press, where they uh, invite reporters to come on uh, the bus um, and talk to the candidates you know, in transit between stops, kind of get some really extended and then freewheeling conversations going. So, so that's the plan for the Booker team. The one thing about them is that uh, the Booker campaign says that they have enough resources to get to February 3rd. Um, so despite him not making this um, debate stage, and obviously it'll be even tougher to make the January uh uh, debate. Um, I, I don't think we'll see Cory Booker uh, drop out. Um, so he'll probably be around in, until the caucuses. And everybody, I mean, the one thing that everybody seems to say about Cory Booker is like, I'm just waiting for him to catch fire. That I don't understand why he mm-hmm. isn't catching fire, but um, more gas, more gas. I don't know. Uh, you know, watching the debates from Iowa certainly worked out well for Steve Bullock. So um, we'll wish Cory Booker <laughs> luck with that. Uh, Aaron, um, apparently Bernie Sanders isn't trying to get the support of news reporters. He's scheduled a New Year's Eve rally in Des Moines. Um, what's your plan? A hip flask? <laughs> um I can neither confirm nor deny anything. I will only point out that vodka and water are the same color. Oh, okay. Big if, <laughs> big if true. Yeah, big if true. <laughs> so I so, uh, hope nobody checked my water bottle yeah. that night. <laughs> Uh, I hope the folks at Lee aren't listening. Um, you know, one of those random uh, tests. Uh, <laughs> getting serious here. Uh, yeah, which is which? Which is worse, um, Bernie doing that on New Year's Eve, or uh, Klobuchar and um, Harris uh, campaigning on Thanksgiving? Oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm not sure. Of course, they were you know handing out meals or something like that, weren't they? They were doing. There you go. Yeah. I suppose there's yeah. yeah. There you go. I I don't think Bernie <laughs> will be mixing drinks for the crowd, but you you never can you never can tell. What would Bernie drink? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> old fashioned. <laughs> An old fashioned. That is exactly right. <laughs> Amy, what was that? Uh, the tears of billionaires, obviously, is what he would drink. <laughs> Oh, that's, yeah. Well, yeah. With with a splash of billionaire's tears. That's right. <laughs> Mixed with that. <vodka. laughs> 
Well, there's a new Emerson poll out. It found that Joe Biden has maintained his lead in Iowa while Warren's support has slipped to fourth place. Buttigieg and Sanders are in third, uh, second and third place, respectively. Um, that contradicts other polls that have shown Buttigieg leading in Iowa and Warren ahead of Biden and Sanders. Nationally, a Quinnipiac poll found that Biden at 29 percent, Sanders at 17, Warren at 15, and, and Buttigieg at 9. These polls <laughs> are all over the place. You think they would be getting, I don't know, more accurate, uh, you know, more in line with one another, but uh, um, it seems to be the opposite. Amy, the Emerson poll was in the field December 7th to 10th, the same time as Biden's No Malarkey bus tour. Um, you covered him in the Cedar Valley area. Do you, you think that despite his occasional outbursts and sometimes rambling stories, uh, his presence here in the state helped him in, in regain the lead in this poll or maintain his lead, I guess? Obviously, that, that did help. Um, you know, the Emerson, Emerson poll obviously shows a, a big lead for him. Um, you know, I also like the real clear politics average, which takes into account other recent polls, too. Um, but that even would given the Emerson poll shows that Biden has leapt ahead of Elizabeth Warren. So he's really coming, I think, for Buttigieg and Sanders now. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a haul. They've still got almost two months to go, and they're all doing a whole bunch of appearances. But I think that, that this should really make his team feel like they did something good, because I think they know, probably like any candidate knows, that, and people tell me all over that they actually like seeing candidates in person. So I think anytime you're going to come around with a bus trip or even just a couple appearances here and there, that's going to help the campaign here in Iowa. And as far as the, uh, you know, the rambling stories and the outbursts, you know, we did see that video from New Hampton um, showing where he got to an on-camera tussle with a voter, but that didn't seem to really have hurt him, I don't think. And, and it may have even, in fact, solidified his position as kind of able to debate in a tough way, which people are sort of looking for um, in a Democratic nominee against Trump. And uh, for what it's worth, the Iowa Power Poll that will be coming out this weekend uh, shows that Biden has regained the lead. Um, and the Iowa Power Poll asks people who they think will win. They don't ask who they want to win. And uh, uh, Biden led early this summer, and then Warren took over the past couple of months. But Biden is back on top now. So maybe he's found the, the elixir, the you know, fountain of youth or whatever it maybe, is. That, maybe he has to just get into altercations with farmers. Yeah, that'll be the next story. Was that was that guy a plant? Yeah, right. I don't know. His 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 new he seemed like he his was. New, no, his no, new no, Iowa campaign slogan is "Come at me." <laughs> <laughs> I think "Bring it on" is taken. So yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. That's why. <laughs> Come at me. <laughs> And then Julian Castro, who is a zero percenter in the Emerson poll, uh, has been in Iowa uh, during that same time frame, and he's back again this week to talk about why Iowa, Iowa shouldn't be the first in the nomination process. Um, seems like a, a, a good way to campaign. Um, Amy, you saw him at the mayor's forum in Waterloo, um, and I guess there may be a couple of questions. One, why is he still campaigning in Iowa? And, and the second more important question, I guess, is uh, – from all these candidates, we've heard whatever the problem is, whatever anybody asks them about, they have a federal solution for it. You know, we're going to do everything on a, a federal level. Did that come through at the forum, or do these presidential hopefuls see a continuing role for local government? There were definitely partnerships talked about, um, and, and several of these candidates um, in the Senate have passed bills. Um, Cory Booker and um, Amy Klobuchar, especially, um, 
related to local partnerships anyway that they were really happy to talk about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely shows that like all politics is local politics. Therefore, all local politics can be talked about in the presidential campaign. And it was pretty easy, for, I think, for candidates to transition in that way, even even though sometimes they didn't talk about extremely specific uh, information, they sort of demurred on that. But yeah, I think I think overall it, it really showed you know which ones have actual plans in place and which ones don't. Whether that matters to a lot of people, other than the U.S. Conference of Mayors, I don't know. But I thought it was a really interesting way, sort of, to frame um, a debate or a, a town hall situation, if you will. And as far as Castro, um, I think probably even though he's doing even more terrible, I think he was at 0.7 percent in average, and now he's at 0.5. Yeah. But he still sees Iowa as a megaphone, I think. You know, he's going to springboard this to other states. And so whatever he does, he's still going to amplify in these places that he does hope to do well. I think he's really focused on South Carolina, Nevada, these other states that he considers more diverse um, and more maybe worthy of his time. But, yeah, he definitely is still spending time in Iowa, and I think that just might be a springboard issue. Interesting. Did did the mayors seem happy with what they were hearing from these candidates? I mean, did you talked about the partnerships and that. I mean, did they see that as uh, uh, viable responses? You know, I think they, they mostly did. Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago was one of the only ones to really push back on uh, her candidate, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, also a mayor. Um, but it's probably mostly because Buttigieg was at that time the clear front runner, and, and still is in the average of polls um, here. But I think that had more to do with his status as front runner versus everybody else who was sort of in the lower tier who got more of the softball questions and, and things like that. But it also could have just been a function of Lori just wanted to, you know, get some questions answered that she knew were out there and, and wasn't afraid to to push him on those, especially when he didn't answer. She would follow right up with, hey, but how exactly are you going to do that? Whereas the other mayors wouldn't, but I think overall, when they talked about it after after the fact, pleased with how that went. So I think it could happen in another four years. The following day, the candidates met with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters in Cedar Rapids, and uh, while it was clear that any one of them would be more labor-friendly than the current occupant, the divisions on health care were front and center, and it was sort of a Medicare with a public option versus Medicare for all debate, and. Uh, while individual union members shared a variety of opinions, uh, Union President James Hoffa uh, was pretty clear that Teamsters don't need Medicare for all because they've negotiated good health care coverage. And, and this was sort of the same message that came through when some, I think it was like three or four presidential candidates met with the Culinary Union in Las Vegas recently. While they're talking about health care for all, you could hear people chanting union health care, union health care. Um, so, I mean, healthcare has been a major, perhaps, deciding issue in elections going back to at least 2010, and uh, certainly are, are sort of a, a fighting point in the Democratic Party's uh, nomination process. So, so, Aaron, can a Democratic presidential candidate win the nomination if they are advocating for Medicare for all? I, I, it, it's tough to say for sure, but I, but I think the evidence that we are starting to see as this primary goes on and as this debate goes on that it's becoming harder um, for for a candidate to win the primary on Medicare for all. Um, you see some polling show that that a that a, a public option type plan is more popular. You hear that anecdotally um, when you talk to uh, voters at rallies where they worry about 
um, what the impact of a mandate would be. And now, look, and that's not to say that the, the people who support Medicare for all have disappeared. They're, they're, they're still out there as well. I, I just think that the sense that I'm getting, and like I said, we, we see it in a little bit in polling too, is that um, having an option is a more popular idea um, in within the Democratic primary. Um, now, that doesn't mean that Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders still can't win the nomination. Um, I think they can, as big as a issue as healthcare is. Um, I can still see um, them, and especially Elizabeth Warren, with where she's been in in, in this race um, and and the organization she has on the ground. I, I can still see her um, winning this primary, um, but I think that does position does make it a little tougher. Um, and I think we've seen that even as evidence from the Warren campaign um, itself in, in her kind of, um, she, she's still proposing Medicare for all, but also came out with that plan that was um, sort of a transition plan to Medicare for all, which was um, maybe an attempt to kind of assuage the concerns of people who are worried about um, going straight. So yeah, I, I, I think it, it makes it more difficult. And looking ahead, Todd, can a Democratic candidate win the general election if they're talking about Medicare for all? Well, I suppose it depends on the framing. I mean, we've got Medicare for all, Medicare for all who want it, Medicare for all who've heard of it, Medicare for all who are vaguely aware of it, <laughs> and several other in intonations that I'm not remembering currently. But, uh, you know, it, it, com it comes down to a tough calculation for Democrats if you dump Medicare for all in favor of one of the more incremental solutions, do you gain enough voters in the center to sort of uh, make up for the voters you alienate on the left side of your party? And that's, I mean, that's the problem because, I mean, there are, there are you know, if you spend any time on, you know, social media where, where Democrats are expressing their views, you see a lot of people that are angry with the prospect of not trying to do big things like Medicare for all. Is that reflective of the Democratic electorate as a whole? Probably not. But, you know, what is the extent of people that are that are going to say either we try to do this big stuff, but if we nominate another sort of moderate, squishy Democrat, then we're we're not gonna we're gonna stay home. We're through with this. How many people will do that in the face of Trump? I don't know, but but that's the calculation. And I, yeah but I do think that uh, you know Medicare for all is big and expensive and disruptive, and those kind of things take years and years to do. You, you know, promising that you're going to do that in four years and, and, and take the political heat for it, I'm not sure is, is the wisest thing to do politically. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with the, with the prospects of that. I, I'll, I'll promise that I can do Medicare for all in my second term. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess the, the the point is that if you say we're going to do a public option, let's see how that works. And if that works well, then maybe you can expand Medicaid further down the road. I mean, that's but that's the incrementalism that some Democrats are sick, right. sick of. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that other I word, impeachment. Uh, it's looking likely that the House will vote for articles of impeachment before they head back to their districts for the Christmas recess. The big question that probably will go unanswered until that vote is what are Democrats in vulnerable districts 
Abby Finkenauer and Cindy X, and he come to mind. What are they going to do? Todd, uh, are they in a no-win situation? If they, vote for, if they vote for impeachment, they incur the wrath of a majority of voters in those districts who backed Donald Trump in 2016. And if they don't, do they incur the wrath of their Democratic base? Yeah, I think this is one of those situations where they just need to look at, at the issues and decide whether they think it's an impeachable offense, and if they do, vote yes, because... You, it's, you have to make a vote in, in something like this that that you feel is the right vote because you're gonna either way you're gonna have to defend what you do. It's a hell of a lot easier to defend something that you believe was the right course of action than than just something where you stuck your finger in the air and decided, oh, I'll, I'll go this way. So I, th I think they just need to, if they want to vote for impeachment, vote for impeachment. It's a long campaign. We don't know, you know, at this point how much of an issue that's going to be in six months. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But. I think you just make the vote you think you, I mean, you believe you need to make and, and move on and, and defend it. Amy, uh, these congresswomen supported the impeachment investigation, but uh, in a toss-up district like the 1st District, uh, has Abby Finkenauer given any indication of what she will do when it comes to a vote? No, she voted for the inquiry, of course, and, and James, you wrote about the DCC now is just running digital ads touting her vote to lower prescription drug costs. So, I mean, they're trying to take the, the pressure off of Abby, I'm sure. You know, she's new, she's in a swing district, as you talked about in your article, um, but the Judiciary Committee just did approve the two articles this morning. You probably saw on your phone notifications like I did. So I, they're expected to vote next week. I think she really will probably indicate either this weekend or early next week. I would be really surprised if it was just sort of a surprise vote. But I'd also be surprised if she didn't vote with the party. I mean, the House Judiciary Committee split along party lines, so I wouldn't expect Finkenauer to go against the party on that. One option that uh, some people are talking about, and I've heard suggestions that Finkenauer will follow this uh, course of action, is to sort of split the baby by voting for one article of impeachment but not the other. So an attempt to sort of say, well, I voted for impeachment, but I didn't vote for impeachment. I, I don't know how that works. Um, and I guess another possibility would be to stop short of impeachment and censure the president. Um, while that really would have no impact on Trump, it might get some bipartisan support in Congress. Aaron, does that um, sort of an approach provide some safety for both parties, um, for the Abby Finkenauers and the Mitt Romneys in Congress? Um, I don't know that it would, um, I, you know, when you talk about splitting the vote, um, if you're worried about what your opponent, the other side is going to say about a vote, I, I, I think once you've cast one of those, whatever you did on the other one, isn't going to matter a whole lot. They're, they're not all of a sudden going to back off because, oh, well, she only voted for one. So we'll go easy on her. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's really an all or nothing um, proposition. I'll be honest; I haven't uh, heard much about the the, the censure. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. I ha I've heard the idea floated. I haven't heard anything that it's um, that it's coming. It it, it seems that uh, Nancy Pelosi and Democratic House leadership have decided um, that this was the path that they had. They felt compelled to take based on the evidence they saw. Um, had they gone the center route, uh, I suspect it kind of gets back to what what you talked about earlier. With um, uh, there's some when you're kind of similar to 
Medicare for all, there would have been some Democrats who would have felt that didn't go far enough. Um, and, and you would have faced criticism for that too. So, um, you know, this is the road we're on. Um, I, I, I think, um, Todd had it right that these, um, uh, members are just going to have to, uh, uh, make a decision that they, they feel is best and, and, and deal with the, the fallout is, uh, uh, from there. And it's a, it's a long time between you know, November. This very well could still be a huge, I mean, obviously this is a, a monumental historic thing. This isn't one of those issues where we say, yeah, it's a hot issue right now, but who knows what it'll be. Um, impeachment rises a, a level above that. I, I right. assume that is, we'll still be talking about impeachment in November of 2020. But that said, there, there, you know, who knows what else will be, who knows what more we'll know at that point. Um who knows what else will happen? So, so I, uh, I, I, I agree with Todd that for these members facing these votes, that it, um, they're just going to have to make their gut call here and, and be ready to defend it. Well, whatever it is we know, then we'll be talking about it on another edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope this has been worth your time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Send fan mail to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Imperfect will take us out. Imperfect, they could probably be our house band. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Aaron, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. When they're super fresh, small place, big dreams on the road to success. Mike and the crew, the cause, collective, Midwest indigenous MCs respected. From near to far here, we revere the art, taking charge of the hip-hop scene so we can raise the bar. They're faking hard, we keep it really, really real, acting like you don't know. Catch my nippy little spiel, moving swiftly on your heels, but the fact is I'm laughing you. Cause of your half-stepping attitude, melodramatic crews who never had a clue, chuckle with a bad excuse, but really, I ain't that amused. You're down with M-I-C, H-A-N-D, you're down with M-I-C, H-A-N-D, you're down with M-I-C, H-A-N-D, now throw your hands in the air and come along with me, you're down with M-I-C, H-A-N-D, you're down with M-I-C, H-A-N-D, you're down with M-I-C, H-A-N-D, now throw your hands in the air and sing along with me, uh, yeah. 
Cedar Rapids. Stands up. Hip hop right under your nose. Keep me on MySpace. I'm old school. I don't fuck with that Facebook shit. Peace out. Perfect.